Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour, a ministry of Mission Go. I'm Brian Albrecht, the President Emeritus and Director of Canada's National Bible Hour, and we are trying to reach the world for Jesus Christ. And Canada's National Bible Hour is one of our ministries to share the good news of the gospel around the world. Today our text is taken from the New Testament in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Paul is talking to his disciple Timothy and admonishing him to be in the Word of God. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Here we find out that Jesus Christ is going to be our judge. He's gonna judge the living and the dead in the future when he appears and uh, he brings his kingdom. And so therefore, uh, we need to be in the Word of God, we need to practice the Word of God, and we need to preach the Word of God. We need to preach the Word of God so that others can grow in grace and the knowledge of our Savior, but also that others can hear the gospel and receive Jesus Christ personally. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It is 
This is a radio edition of Global Times. Today we have in our studio Michelle Phoenix, who has a tremendous ministry. First of all, she's an authorist and now has authored several books that are becoming bestsellers. And also uh, she does a lot of seminars for missionary kids. She travels around the wor world and we're so thankful that she's a global outreach missionary. I'm so glad that you're, you're such a great resource for so many people around the world and uh, the impact that you have is just phenomenal. It's just overwhelming when you think about it. You know, when you think about growing up in the mission field and then being a teacher at Black Forest and now you're, you're out on your own, it's just amazing what the Lord has done and the, 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 the doors that he's opened for you is just amazing to me. Tell us about, the, you have a book coming out next uh, September, is it? December. December. December 6th, but who's counting? Um, <laughs> and I do have two other books that Tyndale published, and this is the book that I thought I was going to have to self-publish because it is directly in line with everything I speak about and preach about and get angry about. Um, it's about an MK. It's about a family um, that goes to Nepal. I, I drew from that experience of being there and a father who is so in tuned and almost obsessive about the call that he loses track of his family, his wife and child in the process of following the call and the effect that can have not only on his ministry but on the faith of his child, the wellness of his child and the, the, um, the health of their couple as well. So it's if I'm on a really negative day, I'll call it the autopsy of a missionary family. Um, but I think it explores a side of missions that we don't like to talk about because we kind of hold ourselves to the expectations of others, which is that we're better or that we're healthier somehow or that we can withstand more than the average human being can, and we can't. So I felt like it was important to put out this story of what some MKs and some missionary families experience so that we can kind of burst that bubble and become human again. Sounds like that'd be a good book for uh, all missionaries to sort of read and yeah. maybe one to give to new missionaries who are going to the field. Preventative. I think it's one of those preventative things. If you know that this is a risk, then you'll be aware of it and hopefully take steps to avoid it. And then you have a further book on uh, Reformation, which I was... In September. Yeah. This coming September? Yeah. Oh, wow. Good oh, for a year you. from now. Well, you know, when they say write two books and we'll publish them, you go, oh, okay, <laughs> I'll try. Wow. So, Praise yeah. the Lord. I submitted that one right before the day I came to this conference. It was in the email to my editors. So if I'm looking a little glazed over, that's why. <laughs> wow. You're doing good. And today I met her. <laughs> up, up at the bus stop, <laughs> she and her mother were doing this walk. Instead of taking the bus up to the bus stop, up to get on the glacier, um, the, the uh, gondola going up to the, the glacier, here comes her mom and Michelle. And I, you know, I'm sitting there, legs tired, all this kind of stuff. Here they're walking. Mom comes to me, and I was glad for that because we sat there and talked. But then Michelle's going up the mountain, and she's walking back. I to... got lost. Somewhere between here and the glacier, I got lost and had to retrace. I looked at my phone. It was five miles and 37 stories that I walked today. So. Anyway, the Lord Again, bless you. We're so thankful for your ministry, and uh, praise the Lord for you. And thank you for coming to the conference. Glad to have you here. This month we would like to make available a booklet about prayer. Prayer is the answer. Is the title of the booklet for those who request one this month. This is a collection of 30 classic writings on prayer by three men whose writings have inspired Christians for generations. In this classic writing on the need for prayer and the power of prayer, we hear from John Wesley, 
Andrew Murray, and E.M. Bounds as they understood that prayer can be and should be an essential element of every Christian faith journey. Matthew 7, in verses 7 to 8 says Ask, and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. To order your copy, of the booklet Prayer is the Answer, please write to, Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario L2R7A7, or in the U.S., Box 2010, Buffalo, New York 14231. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is a listener-supported program and we would not be on the air without the support of our listeners.
Today's message is from Dr. Fred Hartman and is taken from the book of Isaiah. I know that you'll enjoy this message very much. Printed copies are available upon request. Today we will begin an extensive series covering some of the major prophets of the book of Isaiah. Many of these are not taught in detail. Some speakers do not cover them as at times they are too difficult to understand and take too much study time. Since they are part of the inspired Word of God, and we are called to preach the whole counsel of God, they need to be explained so God's people can better understand the whole Bible. Today it is our plan to look at Isaiah 2 and 11 together, for they are parallel passages. The first thing we should note is that Isaiah was written some 750 years before the first coming of Christ. We must remember some of his prophecies were fulfilled with God's dealing with Israel and the nation surrounding her. Some were fulfilled in the first coming of Christ, but many are yet to be fulfilled. Today we will look at two of his prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, we note they follow a stinging indictment by God of the nation of Israel for her sinful practices found in chapter 1. He introduces us to something that will be a hallmark of the entire book of Isaiah. In spite of her sin, there will come a day when God's judgment will be lifted, when a remnant of that nation will finally turn to the Lord. At that time, instead of being encompassed about by her enemies, she will be lifted up by God to a leading position in the world. It is also interesting to note that in Micah chapter 4, we have almost the very same words that are recorded in Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. In verse 2 of chapter 2, Isaiah speaks of the mountain of the Lord's house being established. This is clearly speaking of where the temple was in Isaiah's day. And according to Ezekiel chapters 40 to 43, the place where the huge millennial temple will be built in the future. When these events take place, that temple will be exalted, and people will flow from all over the world to come and worship the Lord. We also learn here that people will come to be taught by the Lord himself and will desire to walk in his ways. The world will know that from the temple in Jerusalem they can learn how to be obedient to the commands of the Lord. Without going into detail, we can clearly see this has never happened before and is not taking place at the present time. Therefore, the events described in this passage must take place in the future. In verse 4, we note some drastic changes that make this a very special time. We read, And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, 
neither shall they learn war anymore. There are two distinct things we can learn from this verse. First of all, Jesus Christ will be present upon the earth to be the judge. There will be no appeals court or even a supreme court. His judgment will settle any and all issues between both people and nations. Because of this, we learn the second thing that will separate the millennium from any other time period the earth has ever known. There will be no war or fighting, period. The machinery of war will be turned into farm implements to provide the necessary food for the world. In light of this prophecy, Isaiah challenges readers how they should be obedient to the commands of the Lord now, while looking ahead to that future day. When we examine these things, we know that Isaiah is not speaking of our day, but a future one. Our world is full of wars and rumors of wars, as well as disputes between many people. Isaiah is looking forward to the kingdom that was promised to the patriarchs in the early chapters of the Bible. That will be a day of blessing when the king of kings will rule over the earth for a thousand years. Now as we change gears and turn our attention to Isaiah 11, we must consider the context in which it was written. Assyria was a very powerful but wicked Middle Eastern power at that time. They would invade Israel and take the ten northern tribes into captivity. They would conquer all the kingdom of Judah with the exception of Jerusalem. That city would be spared when the angel of the Lord would slay 185,000 Assyrian troops in one night. Chapter 10 gives the prophecy of how God would destroy Assyria. The Lord had allowed his heathen nation to defeat the ten tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel because the Jewish people had turned from God to heathen idols. But then Assyria overstepped the bounds of cruelty to the Jewish people, and the Lord promised to destroy them. In Isaiah 11, a remnant of God's people would still be alive, and a shoot coming from the stem of Jesse, the father of David, would one day arise to be the ruler. Undoubtedly, this would be the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant given in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12, 13, and 16, where we read, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for his name, and I will establish his kingdom. And thy house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. This shoot or branch that would come through the line of David is none other than the Messiah Jesus. Here he is promised to come, take the throne, and rule over the kingdom forever. In verses 3 through 5 of Isaiah 11, we learn of the character of the Messiah. First, we note that the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. His ministry in the kingdom age will be characterized by wisdom, understanding, counsel, and might or power. He will have full knowledge and operate in the fear of the Lord. This is most fascinating to me, for it shows the great contrast between the Messiah and the spiritual leaders of Isaiah's day who were not the least concerned about following the word of God and obeying him. As the world ruler, the Messiah will not judge as an ordinary judge, for he will not be swayed by any human viewpoint, for he will have all knowledge. He will judge with perfect righteousness and judgment. Furthermore, the needy and the poor will not be oppressed. These will benefit from his righteous judgment, but the wicked will be slain. 
His reign will be characterized by righteousness and faithfulness. Beginning in verse 6, we learn a little bit about what life will be like during the reign of the Messiah in this kingdom he will establish. We will first consider three things. The curse will be lifted from the earth. There will be peace and harmony. The wild animals will become domesticated. We read, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's Isaiah 11, verses 6 to 9. When I look at these verses and realize the implications involved in the removal of the curse, I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, 18 to 23. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject unto vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself shall also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. Both Isaiah 11 and Romans 8, though they use different terms, are speaking about the same thing. Just as we who know the Lord are looking forward to the day when we will receive a new body, the animal creation is awaiting a day when the curse is removed, as well as their ferocity. This will take place when the thousand-year reign of Christ begins. Let me explain this from a little different perspective. According to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when the trumpet sounds, the believers from the church age, both dead and those alive, will be taken up to heaven to be with Christ. We will be given our glorified bodies. We will be with him during that awful seven-year tribulation period that will befall the earth. At the end of that time, Christ will return to the earth along with the armies in heaven. That would include us in our glorified bodies. There will also be Old Testament saints who will be resurrected, along with the martyrs of the tribulation. All of us will be in our glorified bodies. There will also be a multitude of believers who have made it through the tribulation who will live and go into the thousand-year reign of Christ in their natural bodies. When Christ returns to the earth to rule and to reign, the curse will be removed and the events recorded in the 2nd and 11th chapter of Isaiah will come to fruition. The temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. The people from all the nations of the earth will go there to worship the Lord and learn from Messiah. Christ will judge the nations with a rod of iron, and there will be worldwide peace. Even the ferocity of the animals will be removed, and righteousness will cover the earth. This kingdom is the one promised to the patriarchs way back in the early days, even before the time of Moses. It is very apparent that Israel will have a very special place during this kingdom age. The temple will be there. Christ will rule over the earth from Jerusalem. He will literally fulfill all the covenants God made with Israel. 
according to Isaiah chapter 11, verses 10 and 11. That one from Jesse, Jesus, will be the one that the nations will seek. For the final time, the remaining Jewish people who have been scattered abroad will come home at last. What a contrast from what is happening in the world today. Most of the nations of this planet hate the nation of Israel and are doing all they can to destroy it. There are terror attacks on a regular basis, over 300 since October 2015. When they are attacked and Israel retaliates, the nations of the world condemn Israel for their aggression. Time and time again, the UN votes against Israel. Iran claims they will not only destroy Israel, but will wipe every Jew off the face of the earth. They're developing weaponry that could fulfill their promises. The Arab nations want Israel gone. In the Middle East, the nation of Israel, which has been in existence since 1948, is not even included on their maps. With all of this and much more than we could include here, the leaders of the world have forgotten one thing. The promises God has made to this nation. He will not let the Jewish people be wiped out. The reason? He has made covenant promises that he will keep, and it is for his namesake that he will fulfill them. God will not and cannot fail. I'm convinced we can put all this in perspective for today by looking at two brief passages in the book of Zechariah. In chapters 12 and 14, he describes a day when all the people of the earth will be gathered together against it. That's Jerusalem in chapter 12, the last part of verse 3. Then in chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, we read, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. These passages speak of that day, when the entire world will come against that little city of Jerusalem to destroy it. They will take the city, but suddenly... They will find that instead of fighting the Israeli defense forces, they will be fighting the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It does not take a rocket scientist to determine who will win that battle. Christ will himself defeat this world coalition of forces. Victory will finally be his. We know this battle will take place at the end of the tribulation, when Jesus returns to the earth, defeats the armies, and then will establish his kingdom. Promised in Isaiah chapters 2 and 11. In light of the events taking place in the world today, we are probably much closer to the rapture of the church than we might think. I leave you with this question. Since Jesus could come at any moment, are you ready to meet him? Have you trusted him as your savior? Remember to order your copy of the booklet Prayer is the Answer. Please write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, on L2R7A7 or in the United States, Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is a listener-supported program and we would not be on the air without the support of our listeners.
If you, your friends from church, or family members are interested in more information about short-term or career ministry opportunities, or seeking someone to come to your church, or a group to speak about international missions, please call 866-483-5787 in Canada or 888-900-5048 in the United States or on the web visit www.missiongood.org. So we can share more information.